Alright, so welcome to a new episode entitled Global Media Culture. Actually, I'm going to change the title in the future maybe, so make it more interesting. But basically the topic that we're going to talk about is global media culture. And I'm actually, this is one of the very confusing topics that, to be to be real, it's very challenging to, to make a discussion of because it's constantly changing as we speak. It's, it's actually a very broad and very trivial subject, but still it's part of the topics that I am required to discuss in this semester. And it's one of the very, it's actually very underrated in terms of IR. I'm actually doing this, this, uh, this course for my international relations or international studies students class. And I really find this to be the most underrated subject of all time. In fact, when we talk about the theory of globalization, it's always underrated when we talk about media. We talk about war, it's very, uh, it's very favored by theorists in go of globalization. We talk about uh, environment, it's one of the heavy topics of globalization. We talk about mm, cultures, one of the very controversial topics of globalization. But when we talk about media, we say, we don't really talk about media and globalization. Am I right? So, like, it speaks for itself. The sub, the the subject title, speaks for itself. It's an elective. In other words, it can exist or not. It's not really, it's not really so urgent in the subject. I don't know. So, it's actually, but until you realize, whether you like it or not, media and globalization goes hand in hand. So, uh, let's let's take this for example. So when you hear this word, what do you think of? Of course, the answer is yes. You guessed it right. Netflix. So why do you know that? So where are you from, by the way? Are you from the Philippines? Well, obviously, duh. You're. It's high likely because my audience are Filipinos and my students are Filipinos. But when you look at that. I that when you listen to that sound and you realize that why is Netflix familiar not just in America and all the Western countries but in Asia as well. So when you give that sound or when you let other people listen to that sound, they would recognize it. So who taught you that? Or where did you get that? Where did you know that from? Unlike uh Unlike anthropology, where we try to understand the grassroots, or like where we try to try to revive culture as much as we can, globalization and media is also a very very interesting anthropological approach towards societies and the culture. That's why it's that's why it also it also somehow clashes with culture and globalization. There is a very very strong debate about globalization. That is very influenced by media and towards towards culture studies. So it boils down to major debatable theories, homogeneity and heterogeneity, but we will discuss that in the future. But the basic concept is this. If media and globalization are very, very hand in hand with within each other. Why are we not talking about it? 
we experience the effects of media and globalization to 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 uh to uh to a velocity that we cannot uh we cannot simply stop so it, it comes whether we like it or not the media and globalization will whether you, whether uh whether how hardcore cultural anthropo anthropological you are will still inevitably inevitably try uh, will effortlessly uh uh hit some cultures along the way so we we see it for example in instance so like give this give this kind of give this thought or like have this idea or thought so think about the things you've learned through globalization and how many of these things were accessed by the media just give yourselves five minutes of thinking that so basically when you look in your phone the things you look up the things you surf the things you scroll up and down all those are given to you by the media and globalization like no it's the technology well actually technology and media go hand in hand so if you look at for example memes memes is already creating a new culture in its own so so it's already creating tribal groups. It's already creating uh, uh, people who disagree and agree with each other simply because of memes. So let's say, for example, uh, a very good example in in media culture is Joji. You know the singer, Joji. There is even a group, very very, uh, like there is an existing group that are very devoted to uh, Joji's. Joji's uh previous previous YouTube's uh YouTube identity which is called or you might be mad if I call him pink guy but like there is a there is a more specific way a specific name but like everybody knows him as pink guy in fact uh groups or netizens in social media argue about pink guy is better than Better than Do Joji or Joji is better than Pink Guy, but but then you realize it's the same person. Although like that same, uh, that certain person decided to to move on from his past and start a new career, but then like that idea alone that divided a certain group of people with their own specific preference that they tried to fight off against against each other, and then the person they are fighting for and against is the same person. <laughs> That is a very interesting thought. Another another thing, for example, is uh, Blackpink or like K-pop. So, go going back in two thousand, who would really expect that K-pop would be as relevant as it is today? Nobody really expected it. Uh, Korean dramas were were even a higher percentage of being more popular than K-pop. K-pop just came and and. Uh, devoured the young the young people men and women alike and then it became a wave another thing is uh tiktok like it's very controversial right now so but then like it started like it started very low but then a year later around i think 2018 or like 2019 it, it went soaring off the usage of People. So people are are on that platform regardless of its controversies of 
stealing other people's information, etc. It's it's basically uh, a social media platform where you get to upload videos for a short period of time. It's like Vine, but less demanding than Vine. Another examples are memes in general, where the concept of memes are actually uh, just like uh, words with te uh, a, pi a picture with text on it that are bound to be funny or outright or whatever type of humor you're you're into and then like this just they just went on and on up until 2020 like back when I was still in high school memes were like something of uh, the the underground entertainment for the youth so when you're bored and back in that and back in those days where you don't really have a smartphone so you use your computer so there's really not nothing much to do on the internet except friendster facebook was not even a thing back then youtube was but then there are also memes where where you could just simply scroll through 24 hours a day and listen to memes or read sorry read memes and and the most remarkable thing about that is it continued up until today without it being irrelevant toward society. It created a culture, a meme culture. And you also try to understand that meme became very relevant in terms of politics, capitalism, education, maybe to a certain extent, or let's say, uh, uh, Actually, like so many other things. Almost everything can be attached to memes. Like the fact that I'm using memes as an example in my discussion is showing how relevant meme culture is in today's society. In fact, you would not be surprised if a certain president uses memes in his tweet. That's how very relevant memes are in today's society. Where, in fact, would back when we were still uh, 20 years ago, or 20 years more ago. We would think of memes as things the young people would enjoy because the older people really don't comprehend the idea of memes but now everybody's doing it in fact it gets boring once uh, corporations tries to attempt to humor the younger generation with memes it gets cringy at times uh, well some people would say teachers are also using memes to make their discussions funny then you realize the teacher right now are also one of the people who were molded by those memes so you can't tell me to stop anyway i'm going very off topic right now so let's go back so media and the global village so when we talk about again media or in the media globalization there is always that notion that media will influence the world and it will create a sort of a global village or in a very uh, grim perspective a new form of colonialism do you agree or not do you agree that media ties people together makes the world in fact if we are to be strict with globalization so the, the in terms of velocity and also the the also the thickness of globalization both are heavily influenced on media so the information spreading right now is getting at a faster rate is 
distributed by the media. So, you might wonder, how influential is media really? So, let's go back to the, to the original or the very basic concept about media and globalization. Let's look at Marshall McLuhan. So, he is actually a very interesting person because he coined the term global village seven or ten years back before the internet was invented. So basically, he predicted that technology will be so advanced, well, the notion of globalization was already present in this time, so so he, he, he predicted that technology will be so advanced that it will create the world, it will make the world smaller and more interactive. He predicted, in other words, a global village that would connect all people everywhere. So his concept was based on the idea that culture would move toward greater, sorry, greater personal interactions after leaving behind early eras of humanity, focused on the spoken and written word. So basically, he believed that after his or during his time, people will transition into what he calls the electronic age. Well actually did not live longer to experience that era. No? So right after he died, a decade later, the internet was born. But his views on the internet was also not that that optimistic. We might view it right as a, as a very optimi optimistic thing. Like wow, everybody is interactive with. Oh, sorry, is there a word? Is that a correct grammar? No. Uh, people would be so connected with each other that barriers technically don't exist anymore uh, fast forward to 2020 barriers still exist but at least we can talk to each other with barriers on directly face to face online so he viewed it as also a, something of a negative thing because it also is a very strong catalyst for what we call as colonization where wherein when this idea or the when the media is able to create or like to unite the world, it has to be controlled by a certain idea, right? a certain uh, or a certain principles. Otherwise, if it's composed of various principles that are contradicting with each other, it will not connect each other because it will only create conflict. More to that in the future lessons. So. Aside from the optimism, uh, optimism of media uniting people and creating world peace, so media can also be viewed as, or global media, also be viewed as a very strong proponent of colonialism. The fact that we are more familiar of Blackpink's music than our own folk songs shows. So when you compare a person in the past and you give them music that are foreign, they will not understand it or they will not like it. But when you fast forward into the present, when you show them local music, people will have a different set of preferences. I'm not saying that liking Blackpink is bad. I'm just saying that whether you like it or not, media influences you and whoever is dominant on the media gets to control the interest of the masses. In other words, we if we try to understand media and globalization, we must also ask the questions, who are the dominant actors in the global media? Who do they represent? And if they exist, 
do they create homogeneity? I'm sorry, homogenetization or heterogenetization? So, a brief definition on those two words, right? So, when we talk about homogenetization, it simply is like uh, creating a homogeneous society where cultures somehow overlap and do not be con do not conflict with one another while heterogenization heterogenization somehow divides it further so media as colonialism does it really unite people or does it divide it further so these are the common big debates on media globalization globalization where is the goal of media towards globalization uh, 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 a concept of unity or a concept of greater divide it still is being debated up until today as you see how media is represented online where people are getting more and more uh, free to speak on what they believe in the fact that conspiracy theories get trending today shows how potentially dividing media can be and also at the same time uh, uh, uniting it can be so before we continue about this very very complicated divide of global media which we will discuss in the, in the next topic which is on next week we need to review globalization what is globalization per se so globalization of course as defined by scholars we've as ir or is students we've been so engrossed with these definitions almost every semester again every time but we need to know these people and what they have in store for defining globalization so for robertson it is the compression of the world and its intensification of consciousness as a whole for silverstone globalization is the product of a changing economic and political order one in which technology and capital have combined in a new multifaceted imperialism. So, according to Lull, globalization is best considered a complex set of interacting and often countervailing human, material, and symbolic flows that lead to diverse heterogeneous cultural positionings and practices which persistently and variously modify established uh, established vectors of social, political, and cultural power. According to Tom, Tom Linson, globalization refers to the rapid developed process of complex interactions between societies, cultures, institutions, and individuals worldwide. It is a social process which involves a compression of time and space, shrinking distances through a dynamic reduction in time taken, either physically or representationally, to cross them, so making the world seem smaller, in a certain sense, bringing them closer to one another. Oh my god, so many definitions, very different! Right? That's, that's actually the problem of making... Uh, globalization as a study is because you'll never get a definite answer but the idea is there that globalization although how vague its definition is in fact it should be vague because it's globalization but basically 
Globalization can be defined in the following features that 1. The growing level of connectedness between individuals and nation-states and societies are growing at a global level, meaning even though you're one person, you can still interact with the state or one corporation, etc. The reduction of distance between individuals and societies and nation-states in terms of time and space are somehow seemingly sort of irrelevant. So this is also with the help of, of course, media. So development of information communication technologies also resulted in the velocity of media or globalization as well. And the awareness and the increased awareness of global phenomena and people's local lives. In other words, globalization is something that scholars would originally talk about. Or when it comes to global globalization and politics, it's just leave it to the experts. But today, because of the media and globalization or media globalization, people can interact and create a platform to talk about those things, whether they are diplomats, reporters, activists, or not. Or simply just normal folk. The fact that right now I'm able to make a podcast that is... Uh, originally intended for my students but has the potential to access to give access to people outside of my class shows how well improved media globalization is or how 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 thin globalization or sorry how thick globalization is already is already now and the globalization of culture and economic activity as a direct result of the activities of powerful capitalist organizations. In other words, uh, even corporations that are seemingly uh, lifeless entities are still able to influence big or major decisions of local, national, and even global global, global phenomena or global situations. Also, at the same time, critics also view that it's because of globalization that even that the poor countries are even further exploited. So, really, globalization, with its features, is constantly a debated topic in terms of even even people who study globalization say globalization should not continue or not. So, again, it's a very confusing topic. So, let's continue with our discussions. So, by the way, this is a guided discussion. So. For my students, I want you to read the attached materials that I added. I will send you uh, that I add, sorry, that I added along with this with your slides you're reading right now. So, I want you to read on the theories of media globalization. So, there are very, very, very many theories of globalization. In fact, in the even the further topics, we'll still be talking about theories further, but. For now, as an introduction of the discussion, let's just focus on four main headings. So, first, let's talk about the global society approach. So, basically, basically it talks about the, it emphasizes the extent to which we all, as citizens of the planet, inhabit one society that has common concerns and possibilities. So, Global society positions on points to the increasing consciousness of the global that is said to exist in the everyday life. So in other words, for the global society approach. So it it 
encourages the idea of the global village being further developed like that. According to these theories, media globalization is very important in shaping global societies. In fact, it's it's the glue that binds the global societies together because if oh, what makes people interact with one another is to create a familiarity and it's the media that's going to deliver that familiarity with each other. For example, you know someone from the United States and you're in the Philippines and the reason why you know each other is because you like one thing in particular. Let's say, for example, you like Korean movies. That's possible. That's that's really likely to happen at this time. In fact, it happened to, I guess, hundreds of thousands of people already. So media plays an important role in establishing global societies. So in another take, so global societies and global cultures will, when we talk about global societies, there will always be global cultures approach. So for those who view a cultural standpoint, so it sees an increasing level of cultural homogenization taking place at a global level. So members of culturally and politically diverse societies participate in global cultural experiences never before witnessed in human history. So the fact that we have conventions that simply talk about a specific interest, like when we talk about conventions before, it was something more... I'm not, I'm not degrading conventions right now, but it was something more, let's say, urgent. So it has, it has to have like, like a main goal in mind. Like, but conventions these days are even like back better because it simply says, our oh, conventions exist regardless of if it's important or not, as long as people like it. So, for example, is Comic Con. So. In those conventions alone, you have seen that you have created tribal groups of cultures where even though they are not part of a singular race, ethnicity, or language, they are able to to be together with one certain event that is the thing they like. For example, furries or um, or comics or cosplay. So that is a very good example of global culture of the global cultural approach where the media also creates culture or like homogenizes culture in a global level that regardless of your own origins you are able to be part of this global society. I mean you don't even have to go to conventions to participate in these societies alone. You just have to go online like the fact that there are so many Facebook groups once quarantine has started, this really shows how how inevitable global culture cultural uh, media global media is inevitable towards people and the shaping of global culture. So, like, like personally, I am I have very diff uh, very various interests in life, but when I log into Facebook. I am part of very specific interest groups. Say, for example, uh, I simply just watched this series on Netflix called The Umbrella Academy. And then, 
I saw memes of Umbrella Academy and I looked it up and it the memes originated from a certain group. So I joined that group and then I became part of that group. I interacted even though I don't know them, even though we are from different countries, even though our language, even though my English is very different from theirs. So that alone, you can really see that global uh, media globalization is playing uh, an invisible hand in these scenarios. So even though there is an urgency of our old or national cultures being somewhat uh, push aside in favor of global global cultures, you can really see in how we interact with globalization that cultures are still being created, but it's in a very different way than we expect. It's more of a melange or a, a babble of sorts. And unlike the Tower of Babel where everybody gets confused because they're talking different languages, people are united simply because of a specific interest. Global cultural approach or global culture approach allows little room for either local resistance or to local appropriation and reinvention of globalized cultural products. So the really downside of this is that it does not care about local cultures unless of course your topic is local cultures for global groups which is not that trendy yeah next is the world systems approach so this one is your is very familiar for is majors so so this basically talks about the the constant dominance of uh the core countries or the the very capitalized countries or industrialized countries to the periphery countries so so even though you might think that what does media have to do with the world systems theory it's basically just like it's the rich countries dominating the periphery if you look at it in that sense you would know that these uh, core countries take their role in the core basically through media so the fact that the things that you own today represents a lot of the world systems approach. So, and to, to review for those who are unfamiliar with the world systems approach, where it simply divides the, the world into three systems that we call the core, the semi-periphery, and the periphery. And the core is the leading capitalist states. So they basically don't do manufacturing most or completely, or in fact, Manufacturing is somewhat uh, not really a, a thing because they can just simply outsource, but they control all the capital. Next is the semi-periphery where they have a mix and balance between uh, capital and labor. So they, they use or they create business and investments and also at the same time they create products. While we go to the periphery where most of it is basically labor intensive outputs or contributions towards the world systems so they don't create a lot of capital but they do create a lot of labor so the problem is that you the, the idea alone that the world systems approach exists because the capital or the, the core countries maintain their capital because they let the peripheries stay on the peripheries and how would they do that and they do that in the media let's take for example the trend of of collecting shoes so a lot of people might if 
whenever I get trending or something, a lot of people might disagree that, oh, collecting shoes is a very personal passion. You don't really have to judge me with that. But <laughs> until you realize that these shoes are actually a very strong, strong output of the world system's approach or theory is that that shoes has its branding in this core state but the materials are actually taken from the periphery and somehow produced by the semi-periphery and then marketed back and then sent back to the core to be labeled that it's manufactured or designed by the core and then sold back to the periphery countries the fact that you're collecting shoes that is very very internationally branded shows that media has an influence on you so i'm not saying that it's bad to collect shoes i'm not saying it's bad to buy uh iphones or support and uh, then supporting locals but then like you have to agree or you have to acknowledge at a certain point in time that this this uh behavior or capitalist behavior of yours is actually a very good reaction or an, a product of global media so why is lebron's shoes very popular very expensive or why is uh, why is jordan's very uh, very let's say how do you call that very rare so, again it's basically how the media portrays it next is the global capitalism approach by the way this is this will also be the last uh, a pro or the last thing I'll be talking about in the part one of this segment because I exceeded already the 30 minute mark so the global capitalism approach argues that globalization of capitalism is at the heart of the globalization process in other words it says that the media is controlled by the global capitalists uh, no matter what or how free your choices you think you are but you should also know that the media is also influenced by the global capitalists because, of course, where do, where do these medias get their funding? It's on the sponsors that they earn. So it will always be, or like, there will be certain aspects that the media will exist in order to gain buyers of that certain capital product, capitalist product. So, for example, um, you, our selection of phones why do a lot of people prefer iphones regardless of the price or specs they will show you a, a a phone that is higher in terms of specs and lower in terms of price but it will still never outsell the smartphone why does that exist whether you like it or not even though you would be angry with me or not it's still very influenced on global media So the increasing complex ownership patterns of multimedia conglomerates or oligarchy means transnational media companies may not be involved in the media industry per se, but also own or control other kinds of companies producing goods and services for sale of the global market. For example, is that even though this cell phone has better specs and a cheaper price, the fact that this phone is not as branded by the than this other phone or like the iphone it's that's basically global capitalism so it's harder to compete with these non-conglomerate uh 
entities or like uh, these corporations than these established corporations already. So, in other words, you can never outsell a smartphone at present. Or sorry, a smartphone, an iPhone at present. Regardless of specs, regardless of features, and regardless of price. As long as media portrays Apple products like this, or as long as Apple controls a portion of the media, it will still sell better. Regardless of specs, regardless of price. Alright, so for now, let's stop at the theories and how how media is relevant on those theories and we will go back on the next episode and we will talk about media globalization All right so if oh by the way uh a little note on my students so i will try to hit 30 minutes as much as possible so if i'm i exceed on those time i will cut it and then add another segment and if i still need more time in discussing, I will shift them into activities where you will also do or understand them for themselves. It's a flip learning process. Alright, so see you on the next episode. So I hope you are still ready to listen because it's gonna be another another very long listening time. But you can fast forward the listening period. So it's better like that. Okay, so welcome back to another segment of our discussions relating global media culture. So, I actually have decided I actually have decided into a new name for this episode. So it's entitled Little Villages, sorry, Global Villages in my smartphone. It's very cute. I like the sound of it. And it really is encompassing to our discussion for this episode. So, previously we talked about the theories of globalization and how actually media fits on those theories very well. So whether we like it or not, media plays an important role in globalization. Whether or not theorists will make researches about media. Yeah. So I'm talking about you theorists. So, globalization theorists. Someone should make research about media and not just waiting for when's the next world war gonna happen anyway so kidding aside so maybe you should be the guy you should be the next scholars who should publish research regarding media and globalization it's actually a very interesting uh, field to make research on because we always take media very very distant when it comes to globalization but we try, when we try to study it, it's no matter how distant we feel it is, it's not. That's why we turn to this topic today. Media globalization and its somehow frustrations and anxieties towards globalization itself. So, <clears throat> we might say that, isn't it a good thing that media helps the world get smaller? Isn't it a good thing that... I can buy my favorite imported goods. Isn't it a good thing that I can know information about everything and anything? Isn't it a good thing that I can find 
love and romance, not just in my city, in my country, but anywhere around the world if I just wanted to. Yes, it comes with its benefits, but also it comes with its very, very, very evil cons. So we talk about, we will talk about how media can potentially be our next colonizer or media influenced by globalization. So it's not just me who's saying that media can be very bad. In fact, a lot of scholars who questioned about globalization always pinpoint that globalization is scary because media. Basically, it. Uh, like for example, according to Herbert Schiller, there are very valid anxieties where they question the media's role in globalization. For example, they're very pretty much concerned about the dominant position assumed by the American mass media industry in the post-war period. So basically, after after the after even during Cold War and. Yeah, even up until today, it's pretty much very West. And we talk about West, we don't think about Europe. We just think about America. So, I will even, if, like, I can name sitcoms, I can name brands, I can name people that are American or like with American origin that you probably most likely know. But I can name people from our locality in the Philippines that gave a very important impact towards our society, our country, and our history, but you don't know that person. I would really, I could name a very important few. So, it really shows that whether you like it or not, media or the American media has already, uh, has already become mainstream or it's part of it's part of it's basically an everyday thing and I'm I'm a victim of that as well like not really a victim because I enjoy it so much so maybe like a a willing victim (laughs) well like anyway so I'm sorry I have I'm sorry I have to pause every now and then because I get coughs I really hope this is not COVID-19 but I don't know (laughs) Anyway, so these frustrations or anxieties are pretty much actually very valid. In fact, you should be even afraid yourselves because imagine if the media is controlled by a selected few of uh, a group of powerful transnational media conglomerates, multinational corporations. So basically, they can decide for you whether you're aware of it or not because the, the influence they have through the media is very pretty much prevalent. So aside from that, there are further further notions of anxieties that are also very, very important. These anxieties are actually pretty much valid because as it is also very similar with the anxieties that people view towards global capitalism itself. So and at the same time also these are one of the <clears throat> the few perks or rather features that global media stays relevant so first this is also according to Thompson that we can say that media globalization is characterized by a distinct number of features first the emergence and continued global dominance of 
the global media by by small number of transnational media conglomerates meaning the the information disseminated by or through the media is actually controlled by a very few number of people so <clears throat> so these are the elites so you the use of these media conglomerates of new information and communication technologies and of course it's also the same elites who can or who are available or who have the availability to improve these sort of communication technologies the increasing deregulated environment in which in which these media organizations operate so it gives them more freedom and globalization of media content has resulted in greater amount of homogenization and standardization in certain media products and produced distributed by the global media industry so basically like <clears throat> how we prefer imported things than our local products in fact we think imported stuff are better so this is also the result of media the uneven flow of information and communication product and communication of products within the global system and the different levels of access that global citizens have to global networks of communications media globalization is inextricably linked with the promotion of the ide- ideology of consumerism and is therefore bound up with its capitalist project so basically what <clears throat> what thompson is saying is that whether you like it or not global media is a capitalist product <laughs> if to further stretch it whether you like it or not globalization is also a capitalist product so well it, it actually rings a lot of truths in fact i'm not gonna convince you it's not my my role here as uh convince you or tell you this is right or wrong what it's to show you the facts so if you actually own the media you have the access or like you have the power to to disseminate the information or to control the information that you want to relay out in the world that's that's really manifested on how we behave based on our consumerism or how we how we how, how we make our choices is highly influenced on how the media portrays certain realities so for example why do we have the impression especially in the philippines why do we have the impression that what is foreign is actually better in fact we 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 somehow give ourselves or give ourselves or we we are the we are even the person we are even the the ones who go the extra mile just to criticize our own products so a good example would be how or in other words the access of buying certain goods that are local than imported or like that it is not imported per se but uh how do you call that consumer no no uh, <laughs> local and let's just say imported based products for example local or native delicacy so like um for example in the case of cebu it's easier to find imported chocolates than to find a uh a puto store or like are you really cool yeah, you do, i don't know there's a, a putuhan so like since people are 
Filipinos in my recording. So, in our case, it's easier to buy uh, an imported candy than to find the potohan in the Philippines. In fact, in my school, I would even walk a little further the dis further uh, a further distance just to get that very delicious and very warm poto plus that sequate. Oh my God! I really wish I could be eating poto and sequate right now. But the, <clears throat> yeah, the, the idea remains that that if you own a portion of the media, you also own the portion of the consumerist behavior that people can, uh, that people will eventually portray. So, aside from that, so aside from media, also media globalization also are focused on the other dimensions as well. For example, on technological change, media ownership, and access to the global media. So, of course, media globalization is possible because of technology. So, whether you like it or not, it's your phones that gives power to media globalization so maybe you have a very strong urge to support local so you have to do something and it better be quick so media globalization has been improved because of technological change and in fact if you compare it in the early 2000s the internet was not even relatively new but internet in the 2000s I can't even imagine what people would do online in 2000s. Really, I, I can't. It's the it's the time of dial-up internet, wherein your internet and your phone are just one, and you can't use the internet. Or if you want to use the internet, you have to dial a number, and then there's a sound that comes out. Very weird, alien, cryptic sound. And then... It's, it tells you that, oh, you're connected to the internet. But once somebody uses the phone, your internet is gone. So, and then fast forward to 2020 where 5G is at its genesis. So there are certain conspiracy theories about 5G that, that are up and out. Some are very hilarious. In fact, it, it is to a certain extent that some of the people online... That is also part of media globalization. People online <clears throat> tell that 5G is a hoax. A coronavirus is a hoax because it only gives because the virus is created by the 5G signals. The fact that these conspiracy theories get platform is because of media globalization and it's because of technological change because it's easier for people to create the platform itself. So, we will never know in the future, so in the next 20 years or so, in fact, 2000 and 2020, a very short leap of time and we see a very huge leap of technological advancements. So, just imagine if all goes well, what would 2040 look like? Who knows? If 2040, I would be how old? So, I would be 40. Still young. Wow. I hope it's better than 2020. So, aside from technological change, media globalization is also defined by media ownership. So, basically saying that 
what type of media is or like whoever owns that media in that certain area they will be they will show very particular narrative so for example if you're living in china don't expect uh cnn or don't expect fox fox news to be dominant in your media and if you're in the philippines don't uh, if you're in america don't expect boknoi to be talking about stuff in america because that's not how media is dominant in the certain regions so the global media industry is dominated by a small number of powerful transnational media conglomerates so the big media company even youtube is considered as uh, a transnational media conglomerate so basically the platforms that you're using are still owned by a certain number of a very few number of people facebook twitter in fact instagram facebook are owned by one person and that's mark zuckerberg so basically the media you're using right now is is owned by a specific number of people like that and it's on those platforms that they have the power to censor what they want and what they don't want in fact that that became an issue on facebook where uh there was a problem in censorship i did not really like like mark zuckerberg was sent to american 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 senate or congress i'm not really particular so <clears throat> this shows that media ownership reflects how that media can be or how that media looks eventually And also, even though these media conglomerates are transnational, we should take note, these media entities all exist in one world system. And it's in the core. So YouTube is not in the periphery, it's in the core. Facebook, so CNN, so basically Disney. So whatever, whatever media entities that are so large... You will never ever find them in the periphery, even in the semi-periphery. Like if you look at China, for example, uh, what media is China really dominant globally? Well, there is gaming, but aside from that, I can't think of anything else. And lastly, one of those counterpoint to those who herald media globalization, or rather, who argue on media globalization as being unproblematic is to focus on the access of the global media so we focus on also on those who are unable to access information so for example these countries without access to the internet these countries even without access to the basic essential needs electricity water and food like if they don't have access to that internet is not a priority of course so basically there is already a disparity with between the global north and global south in regards to the access of media like for example uh, uh, we have we know so many uh, vloggers or artists or we consume so many media that are western or coming from the global north but you don't see it happening from the global south you might argue that oh k-pop is very popular in the world Korea is part of the global north, whether you global north now for quite a long for quite a long time already. 
go. That's it. The, the axis itself really shows reference on the core countries or the global north. So there is really a disparity between who who has dominance on the media over the other. Alright, so basically I will just end my discussion there at this point on the the features of global media. And I will discuss soon or maybe next week. So this ends our discussion for this week, my students. So wow, great job. So you what's next is that you have to do the activities, especially on the critical essay that I want you to make, which is social media and media globalization. And all we've discussed these certain discussed these certain anxieties that were predicted by the theories that they believe that global media is very restrictive and can can control information and it's pretty much biased or not but i want you to understand about how about social media so and media globalization so is it a good thing or a bad thing well because if you compare it in the early 2000s so media was of course Uh, controlled by those who are owning the media but now fast forward in the 2020s where these media entities also give access to the individuals themselves so basically i can create my own platform that i can share with everyone like this for example like my podcast so i want you to to compare it so i want you to analyze if whether or not social media is actually the answer to the concerns of these theorists where like you're so afraid of so many things but social media is here you have your platform in fact it's it gives a lot of freedom in fact too much freedom for for certain information like like what they say internet is now a a super highway of information that it does not really matter whether the information is factual credible essential or not as long as it's there because people just can post it there like like for example like how fake news is very rampant right now and or like or like uh, uh, how to share conspiracy theories is even even more possible if you today than than the past or like creating fan bases is way way easier today than the past like for example if I want to create conspiracy theory group in the 2000s I would literally meet those people I would create a physical convention but today no you just write a blog about flat earth or or whether or not your politicians are lizard people or not or if I want to if I enjoy this thing and I want to share it with other people I would create a fan club and I would find people who are fans of this stuff. I would encourage people to be fans of this stuff. But today, you don't need to encourage people. You just need to find the people who are really interested in it online. So basically, I want you to analyze the impact of social media and towards global media based on the discussions we had. So did it help globalization in turning it into a more accessible platform, a global platform? Or did it create a more uh, divisive platform where uh, the information is is easily altered or misinterpreted, in fact, changed as manifested in the many fake news that we sh- see and read today? So, 
I will put the deadline on those activities that I want you to do and that's it for this week so you will now have to do those activities and wait for next week for the next discussion of global media culture or in other words our new episode global village on my smartphone so thank you everyone for listening so i hope you're still awake yeah i'm still trying to get in the ropes with these podcast things so it's it really feels uneasy i prefer having classes than the podcast i really feel conscious doing podcasts than discussing because when you're discussing with the students with you guys actually i miss my students already oh my god you can interact with them directly if you have a very interesting question they give you interesting answers but on podcasts it's just me in my closet alone early in the morning very early and nobody can respond to the ideas that i want to tackle but anyway i'm ranting now that's the point of podcasts so wait for the next episode i will be posting it hopefully as early as monday so good luck guys and enjoy your first week of online classes i hope you really push through and give yourselves a break every once in a while so don't overwork yourselves but also don't over relax yourselves all right so stay safe so stay indoors and goodbye See you next week.